uh, in a study through the book of Genesis chapter 3. But for you, while you're turning there, I have a couple of announcements for you. And um, we're going to also um, pray for some people here in a little while. But if you look at your announcements, um, the women's yard sale. Oh, by the way, just real quick, uh, the uh, if you guys didn't get a chance to come to uh, the women's ministry on uh, uh, fellowship gathering that the ladies had on Friday night. Uh, you missed out. I heard it was a lot of fun, um, and uh, there's a lot of ladies here. So um, next time that happens, think about that and, and think about bringing a friend or a neighbor or uh, hopefully your neighbor is your friend, but just in case they're not a friend or a neighbor and, and uh, someone who would like to come, then um, the same with the men's breakfast. Good job, guys, on the men's ministry team. The, I know that the food was good, and there was um, a lot of uh, dads here, and even some of the dads brought some of their kids. So um, that was on Saturday. So I know we'll have more of those things coming up for y'all, and uh, keep that in mind. Um, also, women's ministry, as I, I noted here, they've got the yard sale coming up. Um, and then the women's ministry is also looking for additional volunteers who wants to help out with the meals ministry. And I was looking at that this morning. There's quite a bit of people signed up, but I noticed, guys, that it's all ladies who are signed up for the meals ministry. And I know that some of you guys are pretty good cooks. So if there's any guys out there that want to be a part of the meals ministry team, um, you like that, Vicki? Yeah. Um, and uh, even if you can only cook one thing good, guys, you know, what was that? Hot dogs. There you go. Eric, you're not on the ministry, meals ministry team. Your wife's covering for you. But um, sign up. Don't hesitate. I know that it's a pretty cool ministry, and there's a, we, we do it often, and the more that signs up uh, to help those in our, our fellowship and even those outside of our fellowship who in, in a time of need by bringing a meal to them, um, if more of us sign up, then it'll be spread out, and we'll carry that, that load together. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, one other thing, I, uh, I emailed uh, Milan and Zita, our missionaries in the Czech Republic, last week, and I've been visiting with them, and they sent out a new newsletter. And um, there are some, I would encourage you guys, if you guys follow and keep in touch with our missionaries, um, on the missionary uh, uh, table right outside of the, the door there below the, the map is uh, copies of uh, his current newsletter. And um, I, I, a lot of you guys will take it and read it and, and, and know how to pray and see what's going on with, with uh, the ministry there in the church plant in um, the Czech Republic. But don't fail to pay attention to the last page. Please, if you take one of these newsletters, I'm binding you <laughs> to, to at least look at the last page where it has his contact information. And the reason why I would encourage you to look at that and, and to notice that is because uh, it, it does a lot for our missionaries. If you just simply connect with them via email and their email address here and just say, hey, this is so-and-so with Livingstone Calvary. So I want to let you know we read your new email and we're praying for you. And, and, and just give them an encouraging word. Um, it goes a long ways. I know Curtis and Shelley have been in the missions field and other people have done missions work. And to get uh, a letter from uh, a church who's praying for you or a message to let them know that you're thinking about them and concerned about them, um, it goes a lot to encourage them. So please take the opportunity to do that. Um, on another note, Jason and Jody Powell, where are you guys at? Oh, there you are, way in the back there. They're moving to some place called Bolivar. Bolivar, Bolivar, wherever it is, I don't know. It's in misery, and um, God knows why they're moving there. Um, we certainly don't, um, but in, 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 uh, the truth of the matter is, Jason and Jody have been coming here for a long time. I had the honor and privilege of marrying them, dedicating their children and um, their family, and um, you're not just friends. Uh, Jason, you're my friend. Jody, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I've known Jody even longer than Jason, and um, they truly are dear to my heart and dear to our fellowship. And you guys are going to be—you guys are going to be missed. We love you guys very much, but we know and trust that God's calling you there, and He's got a wonderful plan for your for your life there. And and there's a future there, and and God's will for you. So we're excited also to see what God will do. 
Um, um, I want you guys to um, be in prayer for Jason and Jody. They're moving at the end of this month. They're closing on houses and selling theirs and getting packed and and um, lots of stuff are going on for them. They're looking for a, a new church there. And Jason's asked for some prayer in that specifically that God would lead them to the right fellowship. And I know that they both have a lot to offer and um, to wherever God calls them as far as a church family there in Missouri. And um, after church today, if you guys want to stick around for a few minutes and visit with them, the kitchen ministry has got a cake that's been set back there um, that you guys can enjoy a piece of cake with them and take a few minutes to encourage them and tell them goodbye. Um, also, if you have time, it's on a Thursday, and I know that won't won't work for all of us, but Thursday morning, probably about what, 8? 8.30, Jason? Um, 8 or 8.30, if you could uh, be at Jason and Jody's house, they're going to have their moving truck there, and they're going to need some help moving some of the heavy stuff in, so, yeah, on June 2nd, on June 2nd. So, with that, Jason, Jody, if you guys want to come up, I want to I wanna lead our congregation in prayer. We can pray over you guys for um, this upcoming adventure you guys are going to be going on. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, our family members, our brother and our sister and their family, and um, God, they're truly a blessing to us, and um, Lord, our hearts grieving um, with the idea of them leaving. Um, we know um, even though they'll be miles away, this will be in our hearts, and that one day, God, um, when you come to take us to be with you, that we'll again be reunited in heaven, and there will be nothing that can separate us from you or from one another, and not, not, not distance, not time, not anything. In the meantime, Lord, as um, you lead them and guide them, and they follow your leading and your guiding and obedience, uh, we give you um, all praise and glory for that, and we ask, God, that you would continue to paint a, a smooth path. It's obvious through the cell of their house and other things, God, that um, you're opening the doors for this to happen, and you have a plan and a purpose, and I pray you would continue to reveal that to, to um, the whole Powell family, and um, God, that you would bless this endeavor and give them strength and um, encourage them. And um, Lord, show them this plan that you have for them is more than just a geographical change, but it's to influence the lives of people around them like they've influenced us here. We thank you for them and we pray your blessing upon their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Can I say something real quick? Yeah, okay. go ahead. I'll take up your time. It's never too late to change your mind. <laughs> All right. Um, if you're not already there, open up your Bible, as I said, with me to Genesis chapter 3. I was thinking today, well, actually this week as I was studying through it, I'm like, we've been in Genesis a little while already, and it's, it's, we're only in chapter 3. So, But hopefully it doesn't feel like we're going at a snail's pace. Hopefully it feels that um, it seems to you like it seems to me is there's just so much here, and um, we really need to take our time and go through it and digest it, but still, you know, the, the goal on Sunday mornings is to allow the Holy Spirit to, to meet us in this place, to reveal the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to us, and to reveal the nature and the glory of God to us, but it's also um, to, to go through the Bible. That's, that's part of what, what is important to us in this ministry, is, is that you are equipped with the Word of God, the whole counsel of the Word of God. And so um, with that being said, we're going to attempt to try to get through the rest of this chapter this morning. But as we um, enter into this study um, this morning, um, I want to point out that last week when we started chapter 3, uh, chapter three, 3, we read and we studied through the first five verses. And, and we stopped with those first five verses because it really revealed... Um, some important things to us. Um, we were told 
that the devil, Satan, came into the Garden of Eden and he came with a purpose to tempt Eve. And as we began to look at this, I pointed out how this chapter introduces us, the whole chapter, chapter 3 as a whole, introduces us to um, man's adversaries. And um, at the foundation of that, of course, we see that Satan is our adversary, but also in this chapter, as we look at it and the rest of this the, these verses this week, we see that also our heart, as I mentioned that previously, that our heart is an adversary. And when Satan came to tempt Eve, he came by questioning what God had said in regards to not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in doing so, Satan was challenging God's goodness. That's ultimately what Satan was doing by his questioning. You know, has God not said? He was questioning um, God's goodness and, and God's love for Adam and Eve in an attempt to bring doubt and to deceive Eve and to cause her to doubt not only God's goodness and God's love, but to doubt what she had already known to be true, that God had spoken to um, Adam and, and, and to her. Now, the Bible teaches us that Satan, and I didn't really go into this last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing it this week, but I just want to give us some, some background I think we all know this, maybe we don't, but at least we can be refreshed with it. The Satan is a fallen angel. And, and there's certain important truths to, to, to recognize in this, not only because there are, there are cults that, that take the name of Christianity that mistake Satan and mistake Jesus Christ for something that they are not. And in and, and some religions will say that Jesus, some cults will say that Jesus is um, Satan's brother and, and um, that they are basically little gods and, and that you can be like that. Again, remember, that's the beginning, that's the lie from the very beginning is that you can be like God. And, and, and neither of those things are true. Jesus, of course, is the only begotten Son of God, God in the flesh, part of the, the triune head that makes up the only begotten God the, 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 that, that has come to save us. And, and Satan, he's a created thing. He's not God's equal He's created. He's an angel, a fallen angel. But before he fell, Scripture tells us that he was the most beautiful thing in all of creation. Out of all the created things, he was the most beautiful, the most glorious of God's created things. And he had been given the honor of leading the worship in heaven. But Satan was consumed by pride and also by his desire to be like God. And as a result, he convinced one-third of the angels that dwelt in heaven to rise up with him in a rebellion against God. And this rebellion was, of course, crushed because God's way more powerful than Satan. And, and, and Satan, along with those who had followed him, followed him in this rebellion, they were cast down. They were cast out of heaven. And the and, and Bible tells us that they are now waiting for the day of judgment to come. Bible tells us that some of the fallen angels are here waiting in chains, that they're chained and that they're bound until the end comes. Yet there are others like Satan who have been allowed to roam free until this day of judgment comes. When Satan and, 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 and those other fallen angels who have been bound, that they at one time will ultimately be cast into a place that has been created for them called hell. The point of all of this is to say that Satan knows this. He knows that judgment is waiting for him. He knows that his time is short. And just like he had taken one-third of the angels with him in his rebellion against God, he has a desire to destroy us and take as many of us with him to hell. Yet, as we study through this chapter, like we talked about last week and we're going to talk about this week, you and I, we can build up our defenses against this adversary by knowing how he operates and by also looking at the mistakes that Eve made when she was tempted. And Eve's first mistake that we looked at last week was seen when she actually listened to Satan. You remember? She engaged in the conversation. Satan spoke and she responded to his questioning. As I think it's safe to say that it's never a good idea to sit down and have a conversation with Satan. In fact, the Bible tells us that the way to respond to a temptation, remember from, 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 uh, from James, the way to respond to a temptation when Satan comes to you is to resist him and to draw near to God and the result will be Satan fleeing. It's that simple. 
But the second mistake that, that we make and that Eve also made was that she, in the midst of this conversation with Satan, began to add to God's command. She added to God's command to not eat the tree of the knowledge of good evil. Remember, in, in verse 4, we read how Eve did this when she answered the devil and said, or when the devil said, he came to her and said, has God said you shall not eat? Nor, she said, or, or excuse me, Eve responded to the devil saying, God had said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. But that wasn't the truth. That was a partial truth. The truth is, is God had clearly instructed Adam and Eve to not eat from the, from the tree. The whole not touching thing was never part of God's command. And this may seem like a little thing. But the fact of the matter is, is we are told, we're commanded, we're instructed, we're warned over and over and over again in the word of God to not add to or to take away from any of God's words. And, and the reason why is because like when Eve did this or when we do this, sometimes we do it in a, 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 a way to protect ourselves, that's what we think, but really... Um, when we add to the commands of God with our own thoughts, with our own wisdom, with our own ideas, truly at the root of that is nothing more than a prideful heart that thinks that we know better than God. Yet this happens, and when this happens, it's nothing more than an opportunity for Satan to challenge the truth. When you've not spoken the true life, or the true, when you've not rested in what is true, when you add to or you take away, you make something that is true untrue. And that's an open door for an adversary to bring doubt into the hearts and the minds of those he's tempting. Now, these two mistakes are what opened the door for Satan to continue his attacks against, against Eve in an attempt to deceive her or trick her into eating from the tree. And in doing so, Satan went on to speak a lie. It was no longer just questioning God's word. It was, it was a flat-out lie um, telling Eve that, no, you won't die. God's lying. If you eat of the tree, you won't die, like God had said. And not only that, he was, he was Im the implication that God, because he had said that, was holding back something good from her, saying that if she ate from the tree, she would become like God. And this lie of becoming like God is the lie of all lies that Jesus refers to in John chapter 8, verse 24, that we looked at last week. This is the lie that the devil continues to tell people to this very day. And sadly, many still believe that God's commands are, are nothing more than, than God's way of keeping us from something good. Ruining our fun. Or that God really doesn't love us. Yet when we give a place for any of these lies to enter into our heart or into our mind, something awful and something frightening always happens. And that's what's revealed to us in the rest of this chapter. Because when we begin, listen, when we begin to look at the things that God has said are bad and consider them to be something that is good, which leads us then to rationalization and justification Frightening things happen. And such was the case with Eve, who now looked upon the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the rest of these verses, we see this, that she looked upon that tree after her encounter with Satan in a way that she had never looked upon it before. If you look with me in verse 6, and we pick back up in chapter 3, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? 
And so he said, I have heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And verse 11, he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man answered and said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. Let's pray. Lord, we, I pray, God, that um, you would give us um, the ability to put our full attention this morning upon you and upon your words. That we would not be distracted by the things of this life, Lord, that burden us down, that cause us, Father, to... Um, even be in a, in a place of fear for ourselves. Lord, I pray, God, that you would strengthen us this morning by your Holy Spirit and through your word. Lord, we give you praise and worship for the time that we've had together in your presence, singing songs of praise that, that speak of who you are and encourage us, God, of your love for us and of the future that you have bought and paid with your own blood for us. Lord, we ask that as we study through your word now, that you would penetrate into our hearts and our minds, that you would prepare us, that you would equip us. God, that you would convict us of our own sin. Father, that we would repent and that we would see that, that you're a good God who, who loves us, a good God who doesn't condemn us, um, but that you're also a holy God, a righteous God that, that, um, that cannot stand to be in sin or around sin. Father, I pray, God, that if there's anyone here this morning who is unsure about where they stand with you, God, that they would settle that in their hearts this morning, that they would make a decision to be with you, to trust in you, to rely upon you, to cling in you, to you. And Father, for those of us who... who um, are called by your name, who have put our faith in you. God, that you would continue to show us that each and every day is a new day for us, that your mercies are new, and that your grace abounds all the more than our sin. Father, thank you for these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a, a famous book called The Art of War. Have you guys heard of it? It was written by um, Sun Tzu. And um, Sun Tzu writes in this book, in The Art of War, he says, all warfare is based upon deception. He said, hence, when we are able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must appear inactive. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. When we are far away, we must make him believe we are near. All warfare is based upon deception. And the deception that Satan brought Eve into, the deception that Satan was literally leading Eve into as he waged war against God and against mankind, that deception that he was entering, in, entering or leading her into was causing Eve or it caused Eve to open up her heart in consideration to the things that Satan had said as a possible truth. And her heart, which is like ours in that our hearts are deceitful above all things and, and of course desperately wicked as we read in the book of Jeremiah, that her heart, according to verse 6, that when she opened up her heart then, and she now looked upon the tree that she saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. But the truth is, the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not good for food. Because God plainly told them that if they were to eat of it, they would surely die. Now, as we stand on the outside... 
and look into this situation, I think is pretty obvious for us and very easy for us to see Eve's foolishness in the totality of what's going on here. Yet how often, I, I, I wonder, do we exhibit this exact same foolishness when we too doubt what God has said? And when we wrongly believe that the things that we want, we believe that they will be good for us even though we know that they are not. Even though we know that God has said that they are not good. And if the truth be told, we all have been in this place where we have opened up our, our, our hearts to the devil's lies and allowed for our heart, which is deceitful and wicked, to rise up as an adversary and wage war against God and wage war against our soul. You see, the point is, is, is our heart will deceive us if we allow for it. Your heart will deceive you if you allow for it. Therefore, we must combat even the deception of our own heart with the truths of God's word. So as we examine these first verses, these first seven verses, or these next seven verses, we see how Eve's heart deceived her. And it's important for us to see that her fall came as her heart partnered with her lusts. The lust for the things of this life. And even though the forbidden tree is what Adam and Eve had, had um, entered into sin with, the forbidden tree is no different for us than anything of this life, than anything else of this life that robs God of the love, of the worship, and of the honor that He alone deserves. Remember, in 1 John chapter 2, in verses 15 through in chapter in 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 it says this it says do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life it is not of the father but it is of the world and, 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 and then John goes on to say, in light of this, he said, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, he is the one who abides forever. In light of this, we can understand, listen, we can understand that all sin is of this world. And all sin can fall into one of these three categories that's, that's outlined for us by John. Lust of the flesh which is, is simply um, that time when we say, oh, it's going to make me feel good. That rationalization as our heart deceives us when God says, it's not good. The lust of our flesh, the deception of our heart goes, oh, but it is good. It's going to make me feel good. In addition to the lust of the flesh, we know that we have the, the lust of the eyes. It's good to look at. The pride of life, which is at its foundation, really us believing that we know what is good. And we don't need God to tell us what is good. We, on our own, in our pride, think we know what is good. And, 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 or that we know what is best, that God doesn't know. And sometimes one single sin can fit into all three of these categories just like it did here for Eve. Look back with me to verse 6. If you look there, we see that when we are told that Eve looked upon the tree, and in her self-deception, she concluded first that the tree was good for food. It's the lust of the flesh. And that it was also, we're told, pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. And lastly, we're told that she, in her own deception, concluded that it was able, the tree was able to make one wise. The pride of life. So when we read this verse, we see that these were the reasons for why Eve had justified her disobedience. And, and, and ultimately ate from the tree. And you know what? These are the very same reasons when we boil it all down and we strip away all of the pretense. These are the very exact same reasons why we too also disobey God. 
But as we read in this chapter and we are told of what happened as a result of eating from the tree, we see that sin always has a cost, even if you don't receive an immediate earthly consequence. You see, first of all, sin separates us from God. And it causes us to be ashamed and embarrassed. And this is exactly what it did for Adam and Eve. And as a result, they, if you look at verse 10, it says, they tried to hide themselves from the very presence of God within the trees of the garden. And obviously, this was a silly thing for them to do, considering we know that no one can hide themselves from God, who knows all things, God who sees all things. Yet, we can find ourselves also trying to hide ourselves from God when we sin by refusing to repent. When we continue to run in a direction that is an exact opposite of where God is at. Now, we probably won't go and find a dark cave to crawl into or a bush to hide under or a thicket of trees to conceal ourselves, but I've seen more than one person who has given over to sin try to hide themselves from God by refusing to go to church. Or by breaking fellowships with, with, with those in their lives who are Christians. Furthermore, we can try and hide ourselves from God, uh, and we do so by not reading our Bible, by not praying. All of those are exactly what Adam and Eve were doing here, in a literal sense, as they were running from God. But at the root of all of this foolishness is the, the wicked is our wicked and deceiving heart that really we do that because our heart's condemning us, is it not? Our heart's condemning us, and it's, it's affirming these feelings or these thoughts that we have as a result of sin that, hey, God no longer loves us. Or that God somehow wants to punish us, that God wants to destroy us for what we have done. I don't know about you, but from my own personal experience, I know that our heart will even condemn us by causing us to think that everyone sees our sin and is passing judgment on us, or that they are disgusted with us, or just as disgusted with us, that we're really truly feeling about ourselves on the inside as the result of what we've chosen to do. That shame that comes along with our sin. But in the midst of these, we'll just call them heart attacks, in the midst of these heart attacks, we must remember verses like Romans 8, verse 1, which says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And verses like verse John, chapter 3, verse 20, which says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts because he knows all things. Now we're told in verse 10, if you look back to verse 10, we're told that when God came to Adam and he asked why he had tried to hide, he answered him by saying, I was afraid because I was naked. That was his answer. That Adam had hidden because he was afraid because he was naked. And this reveals to us that Adam was filled with shame. And as a result of eating from the forbidden tree, Adam's understanding had been opened in a way that it had not previously been. Now, I want to point out to you, this does not mean that Adam somehow became enlightened. Rather, um, because of sin, he gained a certain understanding that what he had done was not good. He knew. He knew that what he had done was not good. And he further knew that he was deserving of God's judgment. But it's important to point out that God had not come to Adam. God had not come to Adam in order to condemn him, had he? He didn't come to Adam to condemn him. In fact, God, knowing exactly what had happened, came to Adam and Eve in order to restore them to the place that they had fallen from, to restore them back to the place from which they had fallen from as a result of their disobedience. And in light of this, there's a couple things to point out. And the first is the fact that God has not and does not condemn us. And we know from John chapter 3 that God had sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. But He is also, according to John chapter 16, 
We're told that by Jesus' own words that, that, that God has sent his Holy Spirit into the world to convict us of our sin and of our unrighteousness. And so when we're confronted, when God comes to us, when we're confronted by the presence of God, after we have sinned, God who is holy and righteous, he does so in order to call us out, saying to us as well, have you eaten from the tree which I've commanded you not to? That's why God comes. And in those moments, we only have one of two ways in which we can respond. We can either repent and be restored to God, who has come in order to draw us back into that right love relationship with Him, or we can run from God and remain in our sin and in a place of fear, knowing that one day we will be held accountable for what we've done. You see, the bottom line is, as we look at this whole picture, we see that there's no reason to hide from God. There's no reason to run from God. There's no reason to live in fear. And so when God comes to us and reveals the truth and convicts us of our sin, we can't see that as a, as a, as a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because his intention is to draw us back into that right relationship with him. Remember, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he writes and he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that's how we combat the heart that is wicked and deceitful that is lying to us in those moments when we sin and, and, and we hear those words, oh, God knows what you've done. He can't forgive you. This is like the 10th time you've done that. Those words of condemnation. But even though God has made a way for us to be saved, the sad truth is, is that when Adam and Eve sinned, everything changed. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, everything changed. For with the fall, with the sin, came the curse. And all of creation we know today is still living under this curse. And that's what we read about in the next verses of this chapter. In verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said first to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. You, on your belly you shall go, and and, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. <clears throat> then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, verse 18, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now these verses, I want to look at them kind of more as a whole package rather than kind of individually look at the three separate um, proclamations that, that were made against the devil, Satan, and against woman and man. But these, these verses as a whole, they really point out some very important truths for us about the nature of God. They point out some important truths to us in revealing to us the nature of God, such as God's love for sinners and how God's love for sinners in no way eliminates his holy hatred for sin. And that's a confusing thing in the Christian church today for some reason. That, that you can't have both on the plate together. A love for people and still a hatred for sin. To love people and to not leave them in a place where they're still doing things that aren't good for them. You know, Paul writes about that 
in the New Testament, and he says that there's those who have taken the grace of God and accounted it or purposed it for lewdness. Meaning they've perverted it, they've twisted it, and they, they can't reconcile in their mind how a holy God can have a love for sinner and still a hatred for sin. And, and, and they don't understand grace, and so what they do is, is this a message of tolerance. And it's a perversion because that's not what grace is at all. You see, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that God is love, right? We love that one. God is love. But also in 1 John, the beginning of the, the, the book, in verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, John also writes and he says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the point is, God is a holy God who by, very, by his very nature must deal with sin for the good of the sinner and for the glory of his name. Yet we know that God is a merciful God. We know that God is a God of grace, a gracious God. And even while declaring the curse that came as a result of man's rebellion, God in verse 15, hopefully you've seen it, you might be aware of it, God in verse 15 spoke a plan that included the destruction of Satan and the redemption of mankind. Even in the midst of the proclamation of the curse, God delivered a plan of salvation. And the declaration found in this one verse, in verse 15, it marks the beginning, if you will, of the road that leads to the cross of Jesus Christ. It all starts right here. And in light of this, there is a second truth about the nature of God and also about the nature of man that is revealed to us. And it's the fact that all of our hope rests in God's pursuit of us. We don't find God. We don't seek God. We didn't wake up one day and go, God, where are you at? I think I need to kind of come and find you. God pursues us. Our salvation, our redemption, all rests in God's pursuit of us. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through, through, through 12, it says it like this. It says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There are none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. We have all turned aside. We have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. The point is, is we are all like Adam and Eve, each one of us. And sometimes I've heard people say, well, it's not fair that I get blamed and I live under this curse because of what Adam and Eve had done all of those years ago. How unfair of that is of God. But the truth is, is we are all exactly like Adam and Eve. In that, we have all disobeyed God's command. In that, we have all tried to hide ourselves when we have sinned and lived in this place separated for God in order that we might pursue the temporary things that are passing away as our heart pursues the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. But God, who is gracious, he sought us out. Hear that. God, who is gracious, has sought us out. And he's called out to us with this plan of salvation, a plan of redemption that has been foretold of since the very beginning documented here in verse 15. And we know that this plan has been fulfilled through Jesus' death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. And by the debt that Jesus paid through the sacrifice of his own life, God has bruised or crushed the head of Satan and he has made this opportunity for mankind to be restored to him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, listen, he says, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the very beginning. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Also in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, it tells us, it says, when the fullness of the time had come, 
You see, I love that because it speaks to the plan of God. Because with a specific timing to something, there's an ordained thing taking place at a time that God had set forth. When did God set it forth? When did God set it into motion? Right when man sinned. And when the fullness of that time had come, when the fruition of God's plan had come, when the fullness of that time had come, God then sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might again receive the adoption as sons. You see, it had to be this way. Think about it. In relationship to what we've looked at so far with God being the creator of all things, okay? And we being the created thing. Look at it like this. It had to be this way because there is not one of us who possessed the power to defeat Satan. There's not one of us who has the power to defeat sin, meaning that sin nature, that deceiving and wicked heart that we have. And there's not one of us that has the power to defeat death that came when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve ate. But God the Creator, who is greater, has the power. And so it was God who came in the flesh to crush the head of Satan, to pay the debt that we owed as a result of our sin, to destroy that final adversary, the Bible says, which is death. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, it speaks of this same. It says, when you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, meaning when, you're, when, you, when, you, when your heart was still that, that way. Paul's speaking to the Colossians who were believers, and he's referring to that, that life before, the way they were before they came to Christ. He said, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, he said, God, in other words, God did. What would you do? You did nothing. What did God do? God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled them with the written code, which is its regulations, that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it all away. How? He nailed it to the cross. And having done so, he disarmed the powers and the authorities and the principalities of darkness, and he made a public spectacle spectacle of them as he triumphed over them by the cross. You see, the point is, guys, as we look at how this really truly applies to our lives today, the point is God has destroyed sin. Do we still sin? Yeah. But does it have power over us? No. For those who are us from Christ Jesus, no longer has power over us. And he destroyed death. And, and, and in that, we know that God will redeem anyone who wants to be redeemed by him, to be restored to him. Our sins and our rebellion, they have been forgiven. And the debt we owed has been paid for. But we must not forget, don't forget, don't ever forget that it came at a cost. Jesus had to pay for our sin with his spilt blood. And he himself, the Bible tells us, that he had to be separated from God on our behalf in order that we might be restored. This was the bruising of the hill that is spoken of in verse 15. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 5, the prophet foretold of this with greater, te- with greater detail, saying this, he said, Surely he took up our infirmities. Speaking of the Messiah, the Savior, the one foretold of here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, He, surely he took up, up our infirmities and carried away our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
Listen, I want to read one more passage. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. There's going to be eight verses. It's a little long. I want you to follow along here. And I'm going to read this to you because really these verses, the Word of God here, does a so much better job of summarizing everything that we've gone through so far up to this point. And in starting in verse 12, if you're there, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, <clears throat> on through verse 20, it says it like this. It says, therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, who might that be? Adam, right? So just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, so sin entered through through man and death entered in through sin, he says, in the same way, death came to all men. Because why all of sin? See, you can't just blame Adam. It's not his fault. We're all responsible, all of sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin, it says, is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death has reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did in reference to the law, is what, which was given through Moses. That's, that's the point that Paul's making. But he goes on to say, he says, who was a pattern of the one to come? But the gift, this is the good part, the gift, and this is where we see the grace of God coming alongside um, um, this, how God works as a holy God, as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a God of light in whom there is no darkness. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by God's grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, now overflows to many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift, this is how it's not different, it's not, or how it's, 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 it's different, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Meaning simply this, that God now looks at us as this, just as though we have not sinned at all, completely righteous, cleansed and covered with the blood of Jesus. And he goes on, he says, For if by the trespass one man, if the one man, if, if by the trespass of one man death reigned, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the rest of one trespass was con condemnation for all men, so also the result of the one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Now, I know Paul can write in a confusing way. Peter kind of calls him out on that <laughs> when Peter writes. But it, this is, this is the, the, the nuts and the bolts of it here in these last two verses. He says, For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many were made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where? Here it is. But where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. That's what we see here, even in the midst of the curse with the giving of the plan of salvation. And on through this chapter is that where sin abounded, what abounded more? God's grace abounded more. And the abounding grace of God is what we read about in the last verses of this chapter. It's what it's all about. And in verse 20, as we begin to read about this abounding grace of God, it says, and Adam called his wife name Eve. Why? Because she was the living mother, or she was the mother of all living of all living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and also take of the tree of life, eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was, which he was taken. So he drove the man out and he placed cherubim at the east end of the garden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And some people go, well, how mean is God to do that, to kick him right out of the garden? That was grace. 
It was grace. And there's three pictures of grace here. And you know what? In verses 20 through 24, it is so reassuring as we read this because it's reassuring to know that God's plan, hear this this morning. Because I've been this guy. I've been this guy who's been in this place where I know what I've done. I know that God has seen what I've done. I've wrecked my life. I've wrecked the lives of those people around me who knew me and, and, and caused them harm. And, and in that, we feel like we're done. That there's, that there's nothing good that can come for us or through us from now until the end of our lives. But the truth is, is, is that when we read this, it's reassuring because God's plan for us does not change because of our sin. God's plan for your life does not change because you have sinned. God's plan for your life has not changed because of your sin. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Remember, back in chapter 1 of this, verse 28, when God created man, he had commanded it into me and instructed him, in verse 28, to subdue all the creation and to be fruitful and multiply. And because God's grace abounded more than Adam and Eve's sin, what we see in these verses is that, that God's position for man and God's purpose for man did not change in light, of, in light of their sin. And in light of this, we see that God's plan of redemption includes restoration. God's plan of redemption includes your restoration, includes my restoration. You, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to see or, or for us to, to assume that, that if, if Adam and Eve sinned and surely they would die, that God would just be done with them and go, okay, I no longer need you in this position where you have fellowship, where I've created you to have fellowship with me. I'll, I'll create something else. Or to, to be fruitful and multiply the earth, to subdue it and to rule over it. He, God could have said, I don't need you. You ruined it. I'm going to create something else. And it's, it's, it reasons in our earthly understanding because we as humans are like that to go, maybe God's just going to discard us because of our own sin. Maybe he's going to be done with us because of the things that we do or the things that we've done over and over again. But where our sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. God gives us this plan of salvation, this plan of redemption, but in it is restoration where God's going, I'm not done with you. I'm not done and this is first evident in these verses when we are told that even after sinning, we see that who became the mother of all living? Eve. Was that part of God's plan? Did sin wreck that or disqualify her for that? Not as a result of God's plan of redemption and restoration. And the mention of this is comforting because it shows us that God's grace will always abound in our own lives further than what the sin has destroyed. And the fact of the matter is, is God's desire and plan of redemption includes his restoration, includes to restore to us the very thing that was lost or stolen away from us as a result of our sin. And God's desire is to give us a future, the Bible says. God's desire is to give us a hope, not just in eternity, but a future and a hope in the here and in the now. And God really, he spoke about this very same thing to the prophet Jeremiah regarding his chosen people, the nation of Israel, in regards to their disobedience. If you remember in the book of Jeremiah, we're told that the nation of Israel were being taken into captivity. Why? Because of sin, because of rebellion, because of idolatry. And they would be taken into 70 years of captivity. And this was inevitable. It was going to happen. But God, through the prophet of Jeremiah, in, in chapter 29, verse 11, God gave the nation at that moment of entering into captivity as a result of their sin. He gave them these words of encouragement saying, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think to you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And if you felt condemned by your sin, if you felt defeated thinking that there is no longer a future for you because of the things that you've done or because of the things that you continue to do which are in rebellion to get to, against God, understand that God still has a future and a hope, thoughts of good, not of evil for you. 
The bottom line is God is willing and able to take what Satan has intended to evil and to work it for good. Why? Because he's greater. God is willing and able. Not, we think, yeah, God's able. Lots of times he can do that, but is he willing? You don't know what I've done, you may say. Well, God does. And, and, and the reason why I know this to be true is because this is the very nature of God. Why? Because God is love. He's a God of grace. And he's a God of justice, but he's taking care of that with the cross. And when you come to him through Jesus Christ and this plan of salvation, he has a plan of restoration for your life as well. And he's able to take what Satan is intended for evil, and he can work it to good. And in regards to the fall of man through sin of Adam and Eve, God brought forth a plan of redemption that included the, do you hear this? Do you see this? That through Adam and Eve's sin and the fall of creation and the curse that came along with it, God had a greater plan. He took what Satan intended to evil and he worked it to good, and that plan included the death and destruction or, or the destruction of death and the, and the destruction of our sin nature because we're told that there is coming a day, right, when it's all going to pass away. And we know that God has saved us. We know that he's given us an eternal hope. But please don't forget that God has a wonderful plan and a wonderful purpose for your life today. Now, another aspect of God's abounding grace is seen in verse 21. We're going to really wrap it up with this, where we read that God made tunics of skin and clothed Adam and Eve. And remember, Adam and Eve acknowledged, or specifically Adam, he acknowledged um, he and Eve's nakedness when God came to them. And this revealed these feelings of shame that Adam and Eve had, that they had come under as a result of their sin. However, What did God do? God clothed Adam and Eve. He clothed their nakedness and he graciously removed their shame that caused them to hide themselves from God. Now, how does this relate to us? What does that mean to us today? What is the same thing? Well, we know that likewise God has clothed us. God has clothed us, not with the skin of an animal, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the Bible says. And in doing so, having been clothed with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, He takes away our shame. And He presents us, the Bible says, as righteous before God so that we can stand unashamedly in the presence of God right now, today. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to end with this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 16, it says... Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our faith, to our confession. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Therefore, let us come unashamedly, boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, God had a plan and a purpose. God had a future and a hope for Adam and Eve, even in the midst of their fallen state. And part of God's plan for redemption and restoration is seen by the mercy that God demonstrated as he sent Adam and Eve also out of the Garden of Eden, away from the tree of life, so that man would not eat from the tree of life and live forever in our sinful state, in this fallen condition. See, ultimately, Adam and Eve had to die a physical death to be set free from these bodies that have been corrupted as a result of sin, as a result of death. But even in that, God has a plan of restoration because it tells us that for in a twinkling of an eye that these bodies which are corruptible will be made incorruptible. And there we will be to live with Jesus forever in heaven with our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who crushed the head of Satan at the cross, the one that calls us into a love relationship with with him, one who calls out to you this morning and says, you don't have to hide, you don't have to separate yourself, the one who says, come to me if you're burdened, 
If, you're, if you feel heavy, if you're worn out, stop trying to fight the battle. Stop trying to be good enough because you're not. But the one who is good enough loves you and wants that relationship with you. Father, I thank you, God, for this time that you've given us together and the truths found in your word that reveal who you are to us, that show us, God, that you have a plan, that even in the midst of living under this curse which, which has come upon all of creation, Father, you still do great and wonderful things, that there's nothing, um, that, that you're greater than anything that comes against you, that anything that comes against us. And Father, that we can put our trust wholly in you, that we can rely upon you completely, that we can cling to you, and that there's nothing that can separate us from the love that you have for us. I pray, Father, for anyone here this morning who may be living in that place where they feel separated from your love. Father, that they would repent and receive everything that, they ha- that you have for them. That they would realize, God, that the only thing that's keeping them from you is themselves that you're standing there with open arms, that you've pursued us, that you've chased us down, and that you're, wet, you're, you're willing and that you're ready to pour out grace upon grace, even today. And Father, we love you and we worship you and we give you all praise. I pray, God, that we go from this place encouraged with these truths this morning to tell others, God, who are living in that place of darkness that don't know what we know. They don't have the hope that we have. They don't have the assurances that we have. Father, let us not keep it to ourselves, but God, make us vessels uh, uh, that that flow out into the lives of those around us. God, use us mightily. We want to be used by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys stand? Mm -hmm.